three, four months after I came to America, my mom found uh, a comic book class in a strip mall. And that was like my first time ever taking a comic book class and meeting other American kids who are really into comics. Oh, there are people who I can connect to, even though we have language barrier. I made my first best friend in that class. Robin Ha's Almost American Girl is a powerful, powerful graphic memoir. Through Robin's words and pictures, she shares with us what it was like for her to be a kid in her early teens, to be taken away from the life she knew in South Korea and planted in Huntsville, Alabama, where she didn't understand the language that was predominantly spoken. She didn't understand the culture. She didn't have friends. She didn't fit in, but she had art. And Robin just so beautifully and masterfully uses the speech bubbles to communicate to us what that is like when you only understand bits and pieces of what people are trying to say to you. Almost American Girl should be in every single high school classroom so that our students can truly understand the plight of the immigrant experience. So let's get to know how Robin Ha became Robin Ha. Origin Stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Krasowski. Jarrett Krasowski. Lunch Graphic Memoir. Hey Kiddo. Before we get into my conversation with Robin, I just want to give a shout out to High Five Books. High Five Books is this wonderful independent bookstore just down the street from me. They're a sponsor of the show. You may order Robin's Almost American Girl from their website. You can support a human with a dream and have the ease of buying online. So check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories to check out High Five Books, they have such wonderfully curated lists of books. It's awesome. Check them out. Okay, on to my talk with Robin Ha. Hello, Robin. Hi. <laughs> so you are one of my comics pals who I, we've never met in person. We know each other from social media. And I remember receiving an arc of your graphic memoir, Almost American Girl, very uh, probably the very end of 2019. And I thought I loved it right away. And I said, I cannot wait to meet this person in real life. And <laughs> then uh, the book was published in very early 2020. And of course, the pandemic hit. So I still, we are still going to get that coffee at a Comic Con, Robin. Yep. <laughs> it will happen. We thought it would have happened by now, but still, it'll happen. It'll happen someday. So, Almost American Girl is it's a really powerful story. And it's your truth. It's your personal story uh, about being a young person. Your mother flew from Korea to Huntsville, Alabama, and you thought you were going on a vacation. And it turns out she was getting married. So again, the show is called Origin Stories, and you literally wrote your origin story. <laughs> and, and of course, I know it because I, I've read it. But again, also, when you're writing memoir, when you're creating graphic memoir, like we're deciding what part of our story we really want to reveal and not that i'm asking you to reveal other parts of your life but i'm interested to know a little bit about what it was like for you being a, a very young person who loved to draw loved comics loved her friends and then you're flying to huntsville alabama and then could you take it from there it was definitely shocking to say the least for the first couple of months i didn't know what hit me i just Everything was so extraordinary in every sense. Like I was suddenly in the middle of a 
Alabama, like going to American middle school with all these American kids. Up until that point, I've never even met an American kid. I, I think I met like maybe one or two American person in Korea when I was still living there. See, my mom had all these plans and she didn't tell me any of this, but now it all makes sense because she hosted like an American traveler in our house when we were living in Seoul, Korea for a month or two, like maybe a month. And I remember it was a really big guy and we didn't have a guest room. So my mom made me move out of my room and I lived in my mom's room. So our guests can use my room and my bed. How old were you then? I think I was 12 or 13. It was like pretty close to right before we left to America. So my mom was gathering all this information and different chances to be able to talk to a real American and maybe practice English and all that stuff. And my mom was always pretty spontaneous. And like when she puts her mind to something, she just made it happen really quickly. So I just didn't really think too much about it. I was like, oh, it's just, it's one of her hobby. Like she just wants to learn English. It's still hard for me to tell when like her hobby just ends in hobby and it's predetermined big part of a big scheme or <laughs> Yeah, like maybe it's part of a, a bigger idea she has. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just didn't know much about her plan. But now I think back everything makes sense. Why was she spending all this time learning English in her already busy schedule? And she really went out of her way to host an American guest and all that stuff. And I, I learned English in my middle school in Korea because it was required. So I have a year and a half of English, but it was mostly written, not much speaking at all. So I think my mom just thought that, oh, she's young and she's just started to learn English at school. So when she goes to America, she will be fine. Like she'll pick it up pretty quickly. But unfortunately, I don't think I have that much of talent in learning language. I can tell you uh, uh, like how to, f I can ask you how to find the library in Spanish, but that's all <laughs> I can do from my, my schooling. Yeah, there are some kids who come even after I came and they learn pretty quickly. And so it's all different from person to person. Some people can pick up languages left and right and be able to speak five different languages. But I, I unfortunately, I'm not all of those people. So I struggled a lot, at least for half a year. When but you arrived, um, when you arrived. Yeah. yeah. And sure. you know, my school didn't have an ESL, so they didn't have anybody who can actually teach me in a very productive way. So my teachers just didn't know what to do with me. They gave me A for just being in the class. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with me at all, except for my English teacher, who actually had experience of another foreign student who was my stepsister. Mm -hmm. So the year before I arrived, my English teacher had my stepsister in her English class. So she already had an experience dealing with a foreign student who didn't really speak English. So she knew right away like what to do with me. She gave me children's books to read and she just wrote to me letters and journal. She basically just had a different per curriculum for me in her class, which was like the only shining light in my school days <laughs> to like to just speak to her and write to her. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. Tell her story a bit in your book as well. That's again, just, I feel like what a beautiful story too. Like there's this, that one person who went 
out of their way of what was being asked of them at the time. And unfortunately, because there wasn't an ESL program, there, there wasn't a lot being asked of the teachers to, to serve what you, your needs were. And how did art play into it? Did you ever use your ability to draw, reach across that language barrier? Yeah, I drew pretty obsessively when I was that age. Like I used to draw fan art of all the, you know, manga and manhwa I was reading. So it was like a habit for me to just doodle all the time. And especially in uh, my eighth grade, I didn't speak any English. So I didn't have any friends. I was really bored at school. So I was just naturally doodling all the time. And sometimes some American kids will see my drawing and they'll be like, wow, it's like a manga that I read. Or like it was the beginning of manga boom in America in the mid 90s. So some kids were actually familiar with like Sailor Moon or Dragon Ball or something like that. So my drawing style definitely like resembles manga style. So some kids did show a lot of interest in my art. But because of my language barrier, unfortunately, I wasn't really able to go further and like make, you know, more connections with them. Apart from them just looking at my art and saying this was good or whatever. It was not until maybe three, four months after I came to America, my mom found uh, a comic book class in a strip mall. So I was enrolled there. And that was like my first time ever taking a comic book class and meeting other American kids who are really into comics. And that was the beginning of the dark tunnel for me to see other people who I can connect to, even though we have language barrier. I made my first best friend in that class and to each other's houses over the weekend and draw comics together. That was definitely the best thing that ever happened to me in Alabama was my mom enrolling me in that class. And she went out of her way to find that, right? She saw yeah. that you were struggling academically and socially, and she knew that these comics were a lifeline for you. And it was a bit of a drive, if I remember from reading the book, right? Yeah, it was like an hour drive. So my mom would drive me there and she would sit in her car for an hour when I was in the class and then she would pick me up and then drive. So it was a lot of effort on her part to find that class and drive me there every week. What a beautiful testament to her love for you to, 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 to find that for you. And I took comic book classes as a kid too. And it's, you find your squad, like you found your, mm -hmm. like Peter Pan has like the lost boys. Like you found those people that really understand you and you have this, such common interests. And mm -hmm. was the comic book class in the back of a comic book store? Was that it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty like standard American comic book store, you know, that sold the superhero comics in the front, but they did have a, a small section that said manga and they had the Tokyo Pop early publication and some magazines that had all the mangas inside. So it was really cool to finally see that I wasn't in the middle of nowhere. I still had a chance to connect with things that I loved back home. Because not only did you have to leave your friends, you left your favorite series, right? You left your favorite <laughs> comic series and you had no yeah. access to them. Uh, actually, my mom's assistant. So my mom had a hair salon back in Seoul and it was still run by my mom's assistant. And she, she worked for us for a long time. So we were like a family friend almost. So she was able to gather all the comic books that I used to like in a big box and mail it to me. But you know, like eventually after a few years, most of at least the Japanese comics I used to read were all translated into English. So 
I was able to pick up most of them in America. At what point did you know that this is how you wanted to spend your life making comics? As kids, I think a lot of adults, you know, might think it's cute that we were drawing or compliment us on our talent, but then grow very fearful when we say we want to make this our job. <laughs> There's always a bit of a contradiction with that, right? How did your mom react and how old were you? What was that conversation? I always liked art ever since I was a very little kid. And my mom was one of the biggest influences in that. Uh, she loved art as a kid too. Unfortunately, her parents couldn't really support her in career, but she continued to read comics and draw on her free time. She would take me to art galleries a lot. So. I always liked art and I always saw art as something really positive and something to admire. I cannot, Im I can't remember a time where I didn't think of becoming an artist. I always wanted to become some sort of artist. I think in the very young age, I was more inclined to like fine art because that's what I saw a lot in like museums and stuff. But I think it was around six or seven years old, my mom took me to a comic book rental store. So you can go and borrow a graphic novel volume for 10 cents or something wow. like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you can read there too, or you can take it home and return it. So basically I spent all of my childhood in, in those rental comic book stores. So I just got totally hooked because it's not just beautiful art, but it has an amazing story too. So I think I just got so hooked into it that I automatically just thought of myself as like somebody who needs to do this for the rest of my life. I didn't really distinguish the reading aspect to making comics, which are totally different things. But I just thought, I love comics. I love reading comics. So I should be a comic artist. And it right there where you said, it's not that you wanted to, it's that you felt you needed to, right? And mm -hmm. I totally feel that and hear that, that it really, it feels like a calling. Aside from the fact that for me, it was like, what other trades or skills do I have? There's nothing, it's <laughs> this, it has to be this. So you went to art school or you went to Rhode Island School of Design. Mm -hmm. And, and went, you did too. I did. <laughs> and we didn't go there at the same time. So I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a bit older than you, but we had a lot of the same teachers. And I bet, yeah. I don't know what it was like for you, but there, for me, there wasn't a lot of graphic novel classes. Aside no, there from, wasn't any, except for one. You're talking about David Mazzucchelli, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> was I, he teaching during your time too? David was, yeah. And it was my senior year where I thought, you know what? I've always loved comics. Let me just take this class with David mm -hmm. Mazzucchelli. And I'm so glad that I did. Mm -hmm. And what was your college experience like? It was really awesome. I, to be honest, RISD wasn't really my first choice because I wanted to do comics and RISD didn't have cartooning yeah. or not that many classes. So my first choice was actually SBA because well, I already made some good friends in cartooning and animation department in SBA, like through going to these like comic conventions. Like I, I'm meant going to comic conventions and I realized, oh, they're all like a year or two older than me and they're all going to SBA. So I was like, I want to go to SBA. But their admission department screwed up my paperwork. So I couldn't get approved for financial aid. And I couldn't, I was like 
I like I really was really devastated that I couldn't really afford to go to SBA. I could have gone on a loan, but as you can understand, very it's very expensive to go to art school. But RISD, they offer me full scholarship to go. Oh, you get full scholarship at RISD. They're stingy with their scholarship, so that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, All years I later, mean, a belated congratulations. It was really amazing opportunity for me to be in that school. Like not just the financial aid, but just the school itself was. Really, they're like one of the last traditional art school. I feel like they really make you learn as a tr traditional illustrator, like how to draw well from life. And like, I just loved all my teachers, but you know, eventually like I, I was still bummed that I didn't have that many cartooning classes to take. And as you can remember, like David Matricala's class was so popular, basically like half the illustration department wanted to take that one class. So. I remember I, you know, signed up for it and I didn't get it. So I showed up in the first day of class because, you know, if somebody doesn't show up the first day of class, people in the waiting list can sneak in yeah. and get that part. So I like got in by way being in a waiting list and showing on the first day of class and some some dumb loser didn't show up. And I <laughs> dumb loser. That's totally true. <laughs> That is a dumb loser thing to do, but it's also a very brave and bold thing for you to do to turn up to class because I remember doing that as well. And I remember the judgment from both the classmates who were not brave and bold to go on to see if they could get off the waiting list, but also the smug students who were already in the class. Look at you. I know you're not registered for this. Like, why are you here? But it's all by luck anyway. It's not like one person got it because they're better than the other person. No, you know? it's because the, the, <laughs> your, your last name got called first to register. That's the only thing. Right. It wasn't a portfolio based. And when I was there, Mezzo Kelly's class was like the only comics class. And I took that mm -hmm. my very last semester, my senior year. Where were you in, in your like sophomore, junior, senior? So that was junior year. For senior year, I went to EHP which is a European honors program that the RISD sends, I don't know, like 25 kids to Rome to study abroad for a year. So like senior year was bizarre. I still think about it a lot and I can't believe that happened. The last year was completely different from the first three years of being in RISD because I was suddenly in Europe and I didn't speak Italian at all. <laughs> I mean, most kids didn't speak. <laughs> it wasn't a problem, though. We were required to take Italian there. Um, but there are a lot of American students in Rome also studying abroad. So it was like real world art school edition. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You're all, you all have to live together and yeah. it happens. So, so how did that affect your comics then, being exposed to all of that art and culture in Italy? It really influenced me. It still influenced me to this day because I was only exposed to manga and landlap until I basically went to college. So all, all throughout my high school, even though I was in America and there's American comics and all kinds of comics available, I was still only reading manga and manhwa because that's what I was used to. So when I went to college and when I took David's class my junior year, 
That's when I was exposed to a lot of different American comics, including superhero comics, but also a lot of like literary comics. And then that really opened up my eyes to like, oh my God, there's so many different styles to draw comics. And there's so many different type of stories you can tell in comics. Because manhwa and manga, even though they're more diverse storyline compared to maybe like superhero or old school superhero comics, but still it's pretty limited. Girls comics would be mostly like romance or there's like fantasy comics or... But then when I took David's class, I realized there's a lot of like historical comics, biographical comics, there's a lot of detective comics and science fiction. There's so many different things that I didn't realize was out there. If you are enjoying my chat with Robin but want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, some childhood photos, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple but powerful iOS app that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between maybe different iPhones you have set up that serve as webcams, and you can bring in remote guests, you can bring up any pre-recorded video or visuals, it's, and in music, it's awesome sound effects, and I'd like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of their service. And then when I was in uh, Rome, I traveled a lot in that year. I basically didn't draw much when I was in Rome. I just you know. drank lots of wine and cheese <laughs> and just traveled. Sounds <laughs> amazing. It was great. But then I remember going to, was it? I think it was Amsterdam. I like I was traveling during the winter session time and I was just wandering around Amsterdam and found this really cool bookstore like it just almost feels magical or dreamy to me when i think that it was like in this like alleyway it was really tough behind all the busy street that door disappeared oh. just for you like that yeah. it was there and you walked up and the door appeared and you walked in and the door disappeared and in Amsterdam, like their comics are amazing. So let me, yeah. I want to hear all about what you discovered. It was really insane. Like it was a kind of used bookstore. So nothing was organized. So they had boxes and the pub boxes. They're like all this loose volumes of comics from, I don't know, like 50 years worth of, or even more of all kinds of European comics in all different languages, not yeah. just French, but like German and Spanish and like, just like all kinds of comics in this one tiny store. And I remember, like, I couldn't leave that store. I just had to look through everything, I mean, which is impossible. So I remember, like, leaving that store with, I don't know, like, so many comics. It was hard for me to carry it all back. And I remember thinking, like, how did I carry all this? Like, I still had, like, several other countries to hit before I returned back to Rome. And oh, I <laughs> But I couldn't leave this comics. I had to take it with me. So I remember just trying to fit all this comics in on top of other art books. Like I bought like giant art books because I went to mostly museums when I was traveling. So of course I had to buy art books. So my suitcase, my poor suitcase was like full of books. So you went to art school. You eventually graduated from art school. And what happened next? So I graduated in 2004, 
And it was like a tough time. I feel like we had 9-11 happen. And right after that, I think it was like IMF or some kind of stock market debacle or I don't know. So it seemed pretty, I'm sure people who graduate in art schools or any school right now feels the same. But it was bleak. But I, I still wanted to be a cartoonist, but I didn't know how to begin a career in that field at all. Or in any art field. And I hate to say it, it's because you went to RISD! They don't I know! They don't, they're a great program and teach you how to, seriously, like, my foundational knowledge of drafting and learning from observation is powerful. But yes, they did not train as much back then. I think they might now. We're 2022 now. But you do, you graduate and you're like, I make really nice pictures. Now, and I, I think it's especially the illustration department. Because I remember I had many friends in different departments like ID or architecture or whatever. And they did have some sort of career fair or they, they did have like big companies come visit and like kind of scout kids who are just graduating and all that stuff. But I feel like the illustration department just, hey, you know how to draw, here you go, off to the real world. <laughs> yeah, I remember they didn't even have like computer until the last year I was there or something. Like did not prepare us to any realistic goal after. So Because there's, uh, such, there's such traditionalists in that foundation of traditional work. But yeah, no, I think they're coming around, but... Yeah, I, I had to teach myself Photoshop really mm -hmm. after school. So I I looked for a job in like Indeed or Monster, all those websites like yeah. for, I don't know, I think at least a couple of months after college and I didn't land on anything. I couldn't find any paid gig that would hire me in any like graphic design, illustration, nothing. So I finally just packed up my bag and moved to New York with nothing planned. I just, I couldn't just stay in my mom's house, like being sad because I couldn't find a job. So I left to New York and I worked in all kinds of odd jobs <laughs> for the first like few months. And then eventually I found a job doing textile design. So I worked in textile, like it was like an agency where there's all this like young artists, like straight out of college, like making, it was like a sweatshop kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I have some friends who worked at that same spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They literally paid us less than minimum wage and we didn't have health insurance or anything like that. So I did that for a year or a half, year and a half, and then. I moved on to doing fashion illustration for Paul Ralph Lauren, which is a huge jump. Like I, it was like a big company. They give you like insurance and 401k and all that stuff. I was like, oh my God, I am set for life. And then after a year, I realized it was like really not for me. It was not creative at all. I felt like a copy machine. Like I was just like copying the same design, the same line work as somebody else drew. And it was just like, not that much fun. So after about three years, I just had to really sit down and think about, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And what is my future going to be if I stayed in polo or in fashion? And I realized like I, I don't really have a fashion background. Like I can draw clothes, but I don't know anything about making clothes. So if I wanted to become a designer, I would have to maybe go back to school and learn more about fashion. And is that what I want to do? So finally, I just had to 
quit. I, there are some people who are able to hold on to a nine to five real job and still do comics on the side. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. Like I get really tired after drawing full time. Like I, I can't draw more than eight hours tops. I can't draw again after. Comics does sort of involve those long, arduous hours. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's talk about burnout, having a full-time job and trying to make comics full-time, which is also right. a conundrum because it's hard to start in comics. It's hard to support mm -hmm. yourself in publishing in general as a creative person. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really scary thing for me to do, but I just had to come to realizing like, I can't do this fashion illustration full-time and comics at the same time. And my real passion lies in comics, not in fashion. So I had to make the leap. Like I was still young. I wasn't like married or having any kids or any responsibility. So I just realized that this is the time for me to make this leap or later it will be even harder for me to do it. So I think I was like around 28 or 29 when I quit my uh, full-time job. And the funny thing is I was still like making little short comics here and there whenever I had the energy to do while I was doing fashion illustration. And I entered a competition in, in Italy that was like part of like short film festival, but they had weirdly contests too. And I just entered it for not much plan, but I won. And they, it was a small film festival. So they're like, oh, we can't really fly you here. But if you come here, we'll give you loot room and they will treat you and you're going to be part of the ceremony, blah, blah, blah. So I was like super happy. You know, I couldn't wait to go. And I remember I, like, I got that notification, I don't know, two months before, three months before the, the show was going to start. And I asked my, um, boss to take some time off to go there. And he said, I can't go because it was a busy time for their whatever collection. And that was like an epiphany for me. No, I I'm going to go. So I guess I'm going to have to give you a notice. <laughs> so I just put on a list right there. You did this. I mean, you really, it, it's a tough decision, but I think that whenever you're, you're faced with a choice between your status quo or doubling down and betting on yourself, you're not gonna have any regrets for trying. No. But you would have had regrets if you stayed at Polo all those years in a job that you weren't passionate about. And so you followed your passions. I assume then you went to Italy, right? Yeah. I had a great time. I made some new friends and- Oh, cheese and wine and magical comic books. Oh yeah. All across <laughs> Europe, <Robin>. okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, how can you say no to that? Yeah. <laughs> so I had a great time. I, I was like free as a board bird. I was like, oh my God, I have no plan. I don't know where to go from now, but it feels great to be free. Why do I don't say that when you're like entering a European country? I, <laughs> I made a very big mistake. I, I was so happy to be so free. And like, finally the world is my oyster kind of thing. I remember like entering, was it England? Because I went to Rome, I went to Italy, and then I visited a friend in Rome, uh, in, in England. And they asked you like, so what are you doing here? How long are you staying? Blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, really happy and chatty. I was like, I just quit my job. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here. <laughs> and, and I'm going to stay as long as I want. <laughs>
You're like, no. I'm like, yeah. Unfortunately, they let me go after like an hour. They're like, I was like, I have a return ticket. I'm serious. I'm going to go back to America. <laughs> yeah. That was really fun. It was an amazing time. It's still like scary because I really didn't know what was going to happen to me. But fortunately, I was, I had some freelance gig doing uh, textile design. I was still doing textile on the side just as a freelance. So it wasn't like I had nothing, but still that wasn't enough for me to live in New York. So I had to start finding some new gigs, doing comics finally. But it was, it was like the best thing I actually did for myself is to quit even though nothing was for sure. And I think having that kind of trust in yourself is probably the best gift that you can give to yourself. Because a lot of people have a lot of potential and they have a lot of talent. But I think many of us put us down first before we were put down by other people. Mm -hmm. And don't even give yourself that chance to really pursue your dream. So, of course, I had friends. I had a friend who told me, like, you should quit. Like, when so many people were losing jobs, it was, like, still, like, IMF for, I don't know, I think it was, like, Lehman Brothers or some stuff market thing happened and like people were getting laid off a lot so there are a lot of people who are like don't quit your job you're never gonna be successful or all these people who are very scared and rightfully telling me to not take risk but there are also friends who are t- telling you you should really follow your dream and you always want to do comics what are you doing here so i'm grateful that there are some people who really like believe in me more than I believed in myself in the beginning when I was still not sure if I should keep doing a job that I didn't really love for. It's for friends who love you enough to tell it to you straight and tell you. And basically all they're doing is holding up a mirror, right? That you're just maybe afraid to see for yourself. But almost a mirror girl, like that wasn't your first full book right at some point mm-hmm. one before then yeah so i did uh cook korean a comic book with recipes let me show you Ugh. this beautiful book. beautiful cover thank you so it's a comic book so it has like pictures to tell us and you can follow the pictures to make the and in between the chapters there will be a short comic like this yeah so this came out in 2016 yeah so after this book the thing is i was working on my memoir first but my agent and I pitched it to, I don't know, dozens of publishers and they, they all turned it down. And that would have been, so, so you were pitching your graphic memoir in 2014-ish? 2014-ish? Yeah, around then. The market wasn't ready for it. Like it's, isn't that wild to think that, and it is a, sort of the same story with me is that I wanted to do this memoir and for years and years I had it in the back of my head. One publisher initially sort of told me that, they made me an offer, but for Hey Kid, what would become Hey Kiddo, but it was really low and it didn't seem to make sense. And they said, there's not a market for graphic memoir. Mm. We don't see this selling. And <laughs> I just said, I, I think that it could succeed. And if you don't think it's going to succeed, then I don't want to publish it. 
So mm-hmm. I guess for the best in the end that those particular publishers turned Almost American Girl down, but you eventually connected with someone who wanted to publish it because I've read it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's also a thing to remember if you're new artists, don't be so disappointed if your first pitch doesn't get picked up. That doesn't mean that it will never get. I, I remember being really depressed when I was pitching and getting rejection letters every day. <laughs> and my agent was like, Robin, if I didn't pitch the same project twice, three times, like I wouldn't have my job. She's this is part of the deal and you have to keep trying and she really believed in my story she was like don't worry it's gonna work out you have those people who believe in you and it propel you forward and Mm -hmm. going back to RISD and teachers Oren Sherman was also one of my teachers there and he always told us to not follow trends because whatever's trendy now by the time you get out there and get your work out there that trend will have come and gone and so you follow your passion you do what you're excited about and you be a part of that group that that makes it's something that makes it mm-hmm. a, a, a quote-unquote trend. But graphic memoir, it, it has been around for a while, but it's obviously, it's been it's exploded in the past mm-hmm. five, seven, ten years. All that said, though, it's a very emotionally fraught experience to write mm-hmm. your own life, to draw your own life, and to publish yeah. it. So could you tell us a, just a little bit about what that emotional journey was for you reliving these traumatic experiences and also contending with the people who are still with us that would read it. It was definitely nerve-wracking. I don't know what propelled me to really put like all of my ambition into this one project that's like really emotionally like writing a first graphic novel is hard no matter what you're writing. Cook Korean was my first graphic novel but it wasn't really a narrative work and it was nonfiction. My memoir is nonfiction too, but it's a creative nonfiction that I have to write a story about what happened. So it was super challenging in so many different ways. And like, I wanted to prove to myself that I can write a good story and finish drawing a comic book that's like longer than I've ever worked on in any book. And also do my story a justice, especially to my mom. Like I don't want to portray her in a wrong way or not truthful way like I wanted there are so many different facets that I wanted to make it perfect but I think when once it's done like you it's out of your hand once it's published you don't really know who's gonna read it you don't know how it's gonna be received and so it it was really nerve-wracking when especially when like the first couple of months since it came out I really didn't know how well it will do. And I was always anticipating somebody writing like a super mean comments or- <laughs> you And I've seen them for me, not for you, I've seen them for me. But you shouldn't look for them, but sometimes they, you know, comment on your posts. Right. You wanna be that mean, you're gonna go out of your way to, to say mean things and that's it. You put yourself out there, but you know, what this book has done, um, like it's your story. It's the story of the, the immigrant experience coming to America, coming to the American South. And that gives all of those young people who are in this country and in the South, who are coming from other countries and starting a new life here, something to reflect for themselves to see back. But also for for those of us who don't have that lived experience, helps understand it more so. And something that you do so beautifully in Almost American Girl is 
you're using different colors of text to show what the protagonist, which is you, can understand and not understand and how the different language works and what that was like for you. So you visually showed us what you were processing and dealing with in a way that other mediums have never been able to portray as adequately for me. So I, I applaud you for that, for pushing yourself, yeah. for sticking with it, because it's hard. You're, And I think what people don't really get and I, is that, yeah, writing it is hard. Drawing it is really difficult, too, because then you're face to face mm -hmm. with these moments, these traumatic moments. Mm -hmm. And your mom must be so proud of you. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. Must be. I mean, she must be. She's, she, she, I mean, from, I've never met your mom, but because I've read your book, I feel like I know her. She was relentless and she was a hard worker and she clearly instilled all of that in you because you, <laughs> the story you just told us is all about being relentless and hardworking and persistent and taking chances. Your mom flew from Korea to, to Alabama. You quit your job and flew to that thing in in Italy. Like, <laughs> you must have been so scared. Your mom must have been terrified. And look what it brought yeah. you at the end. But it, you know, it's all hindsight. We can say, oh, that was so brave thing to do. But you know, a lot of people, a lot of circumstances don't pan out that great either. It's just yes. sometimes you try your best. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it works out better than you think. I choose to tell certain part of my life in the memoir that in hopes to bring peace to myself and my mom and also give hope to people who read it. But it's also a very selective view of my life. It's not all of my life. So I think, especially with like current situation with like pandemic, I tried my best to write a good story and uh, like very fortunately it's been received well, but also like I wasn't able to do all the things I always do with a book, touring with a book and you know, so I think it's all, it's challenging, but it's very necessary for us to accept whatever outcome of our endeavor and be okay with it. Yes. And one thing also I, I want to say about writing memoir is that you're only writing about one slice and one part mm -hmm. of your life. So for Hey Kiddo is about being the son of an addicted mother. And that's one slice of my identity. I hope that you continue to write memoir. I hope that you find these... <laughs> these other aspects of your life to share them with the world in a way that you feel comfortable. And I certainly appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us here on the podcast. Thank you. And we are going to get that coffee in real life. I've, I've, <laughs> 2022. Let's yeah. coffee I think it's life. about time we get together. Seriously, I don't know what is going to really happen with the pandemic, but I am thinking about doing some book events eventually this year. I don't know if it's going to be a convention or a book signing, but yeah. <laughs> well, Almost American Girl is going to be here for a long time. So I'm sorry. It's, it really sucks that you didn't get to do those traditional book tours. And all of us who've been published for a while, our hearts go out to you and all the authors <laughs> yeah. who are trying to make their debuts throughout all of this mess. But, you know, between us that have been out for a while and those librarians, those booksellers, mm -hmm. we're going to continue to champion you and stick up for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for doing this kind of podcast. I miss people and I, I miss <laughs> connecting with people. Like, and, I, and it's just a great way to sort of fill that void. Because truth be told, if we were sitting down having coffee, 
we probably wouldn't get this deep. We'd probably be, you know, commiserating about the flight there or something. So at any rate, Robin, I appreciate you. And I, we're going to, in person, we're going to get there. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Be well. See you soon. Again, thank you to Robin for chatting. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in picking up some of Robin's books, definitely check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to High Five Books, this great indie that's down the street and a sponsor of the show. If you have been enjoying origin stories, please subscribe, review, rate, tell your friends. I'm having so much fun with these interviews. I'm learning so much with every conversation I have. So again, I'm Jared Krasowska. Please find me at Studio JJK across all of the social medias. And I look forward to bringing you the next origin story next week. Thanks.